This is an ABC podcast. On the outskirts of a village in the Papua New Guinea highlands, Fago Kiniafa is in mortal danger. Men are chasing it and they're armed with machetes. Fago's been drinking through the night. Now the sun's up and he's all out of hiding places. The men chase him through fields and down a steep, slippery path into a mosquito-infested ravine. By a creek strewn with rubbish, Fago Kiniafa is cornered. I didn't want to see any pictures until I felt I was strong enough to see the pictures. And when I did, you know, I didn't accept the way he was killed. Fago's widow, Sarah, has seen things no one should see. The way he was slaughtered, he was chopped up and, you know, how could you, you know, spoil his face like that? He's not an animal. Why would he be slashed up like that? Who killed Fago Kiniafa? This is a story about a rising star in PNG, a man touted as a future political leader and the boss of one of the most powerful state-owned corporations controlling the nation's ports. It's also about the murky world of government contracting. In a country where corruption and violence are rife, being a big man like Fago Kiniafa can get you killed. Fago did have enemies. And now a police investigation is examining whether his death was an opportunistic crime of passion or something more calculated. We're looking at it as a premeditated murder. In impoverished PNG, money can fuel corruption. And in the lead up to Fago's murder, big money was being dished out by us here in Australia. PNG Ports received one of Australia's biggest foreign assistance packages, a combination of aid and loans worth more than half a billion dollars. Australia's negotiating partner was Fago Kiniafa. But how well do we really know him? What made this Australian partner a target? And who would want him dead? Some of the things that my husband does, I don't really know. And I don't want to know. Now you're making me to go and find out a lot of things. This is part two of Dead Man's Secrets, our investigation with the Organised Crime and Corruption Reporting Project. In part one, we discovered Fago had apparently received payments and gifts from an Australian consultant for a multinational at a time the company won a major contract with PNG Ports. After our story aired, PNG's Prime Minister, James Marape, released a statement saying he was directing the country's Independent Commission Against Corruption to investigate what he called allegations of impropriety and corruption at PNG ports. This week, we turn to Fago's murder and reveal the enemies in the lead-up to his death. At a church in Port Moresby, a closed coffin sits in the middle of a crowded room. It's draped in the PNG flag. 
Inside is Fago Kiniafa. The coffin conceals the brutal manner of his death. A minister walks up to a podium. As we gather here to celebrate his life, as we reflect. This is a video of Fago Kiniafa's funeral. Among the mourners is an Australian diplomat. Diane Barclay is the Australian High Commission's Councillor on Infrastructure and she worked closely with Fago. She's rocking gently back and forth in her chair, wide-eyed and clearly shaken by the loss. She leads an Australian delegation to Fago's coffin and lays a wreath. Nearby, a woman in a black and gold dress is wiping her tears with a large cloth. It's Fago's widow, Sarah. Next to her are their six children. I meet Sarah after the funeral in Brisbane, where she's studying public health. She's a dentist who owns a clinic in Port Moresby, but she spends most of her time here in Australia. Hello, who is this? Hey, Mum. The plan was for the children to come and join her, but Fago's death has thrown everything up into the air. When is graduation time? Um, this cake will be full of mummies and daddies. I know, and um, I'll be there for you. Okay. You know why Daddy is not here, right? That's right. You and me will go together. I'll be present at your graduation, right? Yeah. Sarah remembers the birth of their youngest son coinciding with the highlight of Fago's career. He was about to close a half-billion-dollar funding deal with Australia. I remember then because I was at the hospital um, just about to go into surgery for a caesarean for our last son in 2021. So he came and he said, this is it. I'm going to be signing it. What I've told you about. And he was so excited. Part of why Fago was excited was Australia's guarantee that P&G companies would receive millions of dollars in government contracts. Fago was a friend of Australia and Australia needed friends because in the Pacific, it had a competitor with deep pockets. Chinese state-owned companies had already built port infrastructure in PNG, but there were cost overruns, missed deadlines, and limited involvement of PNG companies. So next time around, Australia was Fago's partner of choice, and this made Fago a gatekeeper to almost two hundred million dollars in local contracts. It was a little bit stressful too for him, um, trying to manage a fund of that amount, you know. And um, knowing PNG politics and everything, it's in a challenging place, I'd say. The kind of positioning is, you know, and uh, the kind of decisions you make, not everyone is happy with you. Sarah knows how her husband was killed, but she's never found out why. On the surface, it seems like a white-hot dispute involving Fago and his best friend. 
Sarah was told the story of what happened from family who were there the night and morning of his death. But as she discovered, there's more here than meets the eye. The police told local media that he was killed after a fight over a few bottles of beer. It's a lie. It's a story that was fabricated. It's September 16, 2022. This is a mobile video of Fago hours before his murder. Standing in front of a large crowd, microphone in hand, he's appearing to auction off traditional woven bags modelled by young women on stage. Fago has just celebrated his 43rd birthday and he's back in Garoka, his Highlands hometown. He's holding court at a festival sponsored by PNG Ports, posing for happy snaps with overseas tourists. His friends are at a table nearby where there are cans of cola and an empty bottle of scotch. Fago drinks late into the night. The next morning, he gets a call. That call was such that he was angry. He went straight to Conrad's house. Who is Conrad? Conrad is one of his um, close friends. They grew up together, yeah. Conrad Minova is Fago Kiniafa's best friend. He was best man at his wedding. Conrad's a businessman who ran for the seat of Garoka at the last PNG election. He and Fago own businesses together. But by the time of Fago's birthday, they've had a falling out. Conrad had allegedly hired a car in the name of PNG Ports without telling Fago. That vehicle was uh, was involved in an accident and that vehicle was just like right off wrecked. The friendship is already strained. Then Fago gets a call. Whatever it's about, he gets angry and goes to Conrad's house. And he's got a gun. Obviously he had the gun with him. The gun is always with him. Fago is in the Highlands, where violent crime is a constant risk. You have to protect yourself. Sarah's not there at the time, but members of her family are. At Conrad's house, the argument between friends gets out of hand. According to witnesses, Fago draws his gun and squeezes the trigger. Conrad falls to the ground. When the gun went off, like um, hell broke loose. The shooting triggers an all-in brawl between Fago's and Conrad's people. Even mum was um, knocked out then. Sister Asselin was knocked out also. And during that time, my little baby was just crawling under the vehicle because everybody dragged everyone out of the car. Then people came and fought with Fago, and um, my son was there trying to protect his dad. It was just chaos. Conrad's carted away to hospital. The bullet wound to his neck isn't fatal. But for Fago, this is the beginning of the end. What happened to Fago? After that, he had to run for his life. He manages to hide out for a while, but his pursuers eventually catch up with him. You've seen photos of your husband's body. Yeah. How did that affect you, seeing those photos? I saw a lot of hatred. 
in the way he was killed. There was a lot of anger. Most of them were focused around his face, you know, the knife wounds and all that. His head, that killing itself has spoken that to me. His ascension up the, the rank and file into that bureaucratic level he is and the kind of influence he's had has, has caused a lot of envy in his friends, I reckon. The brutal slaying triggers a riot. Mobs of supporters bent on revenge swarm Conrad's village, burning houses and cars. 3,000 people are displaced in the chaos, according to one estimate, many fleeing for their lives. Garoka goes into lockdown. It's a shocking chain of events. For Sarah, some things don't add up. She doesn't believe that Fago would get that angry over a wrecked hire car. He's not somebody who will chase after people for money. And um, when they said that he was angry with Conrad for that car, I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it at all. And there's something else. In the wake of Fago's death, someone's sending her disturbing messages. She forwards those messages to me. They appear to be copies of texts and WhatsApp messages around the time of Fago's murder. And they seem to be from his associates, including his best friend, Conrad Minova. My brother, good morning to you. Plan still on? Yes, plan still on. We will organize tomorrow. Okay, good. We will do it and nobody will know. When FK comes to Groka, you guys must inform me. We'll use a woman and trick Figo to go out tonight. I'm not sure what to make of these messages. So I show them to a colleague. I mean, you see text messages like that and, and you're just like, what the hell, you know? We're seeing what looks like a conspiracy in real time. This is Aubrey Belford from the Organised Crime and Corruption Reporting Project. We're working together on this. This is to Conrad Minove, someone saying, my brother, good morning to you, plan still on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know, we got Conrad going back being, yes, plan is still on. It just looks so, so blatant, right? What is that? What's that one on 16 September? Yeah, uh, bro, you know the plan. We will provoke him. And a bit later? We will provoke him and we will kill him. Well, that's just spelling it right out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost like, it's almost too obvious, right? These messages came from a source claiming to be a hacker who'd worked for the PNG government. And we talked to him to try to verify this explosive material. He sent us a copy of a driver's license, a reference, and photos of him with Fago. But were the messages real? I mean, so these WhatsApp messages, this this just doesn't look right. What's the deal? Just look at the top. Like right at the top, you can see there's a little watermark there. Yeah. It says what's mock. What's mock? That doesn't That's, that's not <laughs> what's, real. What's the... This is <laughs> fake. Oh, no. Yeah. What is What's Mock? That's uh, that's just an app you can get, uh, you know, for your phone. You plug in whatever you want and it will mock up, just like in the name. It'll mock up a WhatsApp conversation so it'll look like a screenshot from WhatsApp. This is fake. 
Wow. Okay. So if the WhatsApp message is fake. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That that throws the other messages into doubt as well. You know, we've got no forensics confirming those messages. So that's a single WhatsApp conversation that looks obviously fake. But we had another 28 text messages. Were they all fake too? I have to tell Sarah Kinyar for what we found out. How does it make you feel to hear that these messages are fake? <sighs> it's, it's really, um, I feel I've been fooled. Do you still believe there was a plot to kill your husband over money? I don't know now that you're telling me all these things. But I believe so. I believe so. Aside from the messages and whatnot, I believe that there was a, there was a plot to kill him. Sarah remains convinced that someone was out to get Fago. So I did some digging and it turns out there was a very expensive and very public project that Fago had managed to halt, which left powerful forces in PNG unhappy. It was the construction of a building in downtown Port Moresby not just any building. It was supposed to be PNG's tallest building, built by the state-owned China Railway Construction Engineering Group. Well, Chinese building is a mess. This is Sir Luciano Cragnolini, chairman of the local building authority in Port Moresby. They use rusted steel and all sorts of stuff. Were there electrical problems as well? Plenty. 365 pages. And um, those issues were brought to your, um, your authority's attention. Was it by PNG Ports? Yes. The Noble Centre began as a $100 million-plus project and was touted as a symbol of the blossoming friendship between China and PNG. PNG Ports provided the land and was supposed to move into the top two floors, but dozens of safety issues were discovered in the building. According to Sir Luciano Cragnolini, Fago Kiniafa moved PNG Port staff out. Well, he wanted to fix the building. We were asked to do a report, and then the Chinese stopped us. How did they and do that? We took photos, and they painted all the rusted steel, and they covered up already many things. So... It's, it's major issues there. The PNG port's boss and his Chinese joint venture partner were now in an embarrassing standoff. Does the building remain empty, Sir Luciano, as far as you know? Yes, yes. Was there any link between the Noble Centre venture and Fago Kiniafa's death? Sir Luciano has his doubts. From what I hear, it was something else, nothing to do with the project. So you'd find it difficult to believe, right? Yeah. So what really happened to Fago Kiniafa? Sarah remains convinced there was foul play. As PNG Port's boss, her husband made decisions about big money which could have made him powerful enemies. Was he really killed over an argument with his best friend? Or was there more to it? Hello, Joe. Hello, Joel. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you clearly. 
So I call the head of the police investigation looking into his death. I am uh, Detective Chief Inspector Joel Simatal is my surname. And I am the Director of Crimes uh, for the Royal Papua New Guinea Constabulary, uh, PNG's uh, uh, policing service. Detective Joel Simitab is in charge of Fago's murder case. I reach out to him over a bad phone line from Australia. What he tells me knocks me for six. We're looking at it as as a premeditated murder. So yes, we are are, uh, taking it seriously because of uh, some of the numbers that that appear to be uh, persons of interest are, are very senior citizens as well. He says police have come to doubt early assumptions about the murder, that it was sparked by a disagreement between friends over a hire car. Could have related to a more serious disagreement. Detective Simitab tells me the investigation's been expanded and now police have their own records of text messages and calls around the time of Fago's death. Already some of the text messages are indicating that Fago was lured to his death. Lured to his death? Detective Simitab and his investigators now think Fago's murder may be connected to his role as PNG Port's CEO. The trail of the text messages indicate to us that we should look beyond the killing in Goroka. We should be looking at his position uh, because some of the text messages uh, show some dissatisfaction on, on Fago and could be related to his job, yes. But it sounds like PNG police are taking seriously the possibility, the possibility um, that there was some kind of conspiracy. We are, we are taking it seriously. He says police are also looking at unverified text and WhatsApp messages, but can't confirm that they're the same ones sent to Sarah. He's waiting for the outcome of a warrant served on the local telco, Digicel. It could be fake. Um, it could be the evidence that we want, but we, we're working with Digicel at the moment to, to verify this. But police do know who is behind the phone numbers that are on their radar. And they aren't just local villages in the highlands. Some of the numbers that appear to be persons of interest are very senior citizens as well. One possibility police are examining is whether someone was angry at Fago for his role in halting the ill-fated Noble Centre high-rise venture. Fago... Uh, did not sign off for occupancy of the building um, due to some specifications. I think it was electrical specifications that were not up to standard. So some people have suggested to police that this could be a reason for some people to be um, unhappy with Mr. Kiniafa. Yes, we have some people suggesting that. Detective Simitab reveals there appear to have been attempts to buy the silence of witnesses. And there's more. Like Sarah, he says things don't add up about the way Fago's murder went down that morning in Garoka. You see, in Papua New Guinea, you know, the Melanesian way of life, uh, for, for, for it to end this way is, is, is something very unusual. 
It's hard to get my head around this, but what he tells me is the brutality of Fago's murder seems to go way beyond payback for him shooting his mate. Conrad survived with a flesh wound and everyone knew it. So why would they take out Fago, a local big man, and do it in such a grisly way? Why would they go fire and, you know, chopping Fago up like this? It could be something more, more, more than just this shooting. So far, 11 people have been charged over Fago's murder, including Conrad, who claims he's innocent. But Detective Simitab says the investigation still has a long way to go. I'm sure the family, uh, uh, you know, some of them are a bit uh, concerned in the manner that we are dragging, but 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 because we believe that the, the you know it, it was a premeditated murder, and there are a lot of people involved. We are slowly doing it properly because some of them are persons of. Uh, uh, standing in the country. It's a, it's a high-priority uh, investigation. Detectives are on a deep dive into Fago Kiniafa's professional dealings. And what they unearth should be of interest, if not concern, to PNG Port's foreign patron, the Australian government. A hotel conference room is packed with business people in suits. It's August 2022 a month before Fago's death. On stage, two important-looking officials are being introduced. One is a senior official with the Department of Home Affairs. He cracks a lame joke. Um, I might just start by saying um, I'm from Canberra and I'm here to help. And how many times have you heard that from the department before? Beside him is a man with the build of a footballer and the grin of a mischievous kid. It's Fago Kenny Arthur. The joke must be especially funny for Fago because he's just managed to convince Canberra to hand over $621 million. The MC reels off Fago's impressive pedigree. Fago holds a Master of International Development Economics, uh, Australian National University. He's a professional member of the Australian Institute of Company Directors, a sought-after qualification. Fago, great I'm here to interview Fago Kiniafa. How much does anyone here, apart from the PNG Ports boss, really understand how business works where he comes from? The murky dealings just beneath the surface. Behind the smiles and the handshakes, a lot of money is changing hands. When I sit down with Fago, he's thrilled that Australia's come to the party with funding for PNG Ports. It was Australia who built those ports for us many, many, many years back. And it was probably only fair and reasonable that they come back to help us uh, upgrade those, uh, those projects. Did you find that it took hard lobbying to get Australia's assistance in this matter? We wanted the country to benefit a little bit more, unlike the past. Uh, we have a growing middle class in Papua New Guinea who are now wanting to have uh, a lot more say in the development of their country. Fago doesn't answer my question about the power politics taking place above his head. He says he's just trying to do the right thing by PNG. For me, as head of our PNG Ports, my interest is my infrastructure, rehabilitation of my infrastructure for the benefit of my country. And, uh, <clears throat> and I'm open to partnership with anyone. Just weeks after this interview, Fago was dead. 
leaving behind a trail of unexplained payments, questionable friendships, and powerful enemies. Thinking back to the day of that last meeting, I wonder now if any of the officials in that room would want to know the truth behind Fago's murder, or whether, with hundreds of millions of dollars on the line, it's simply more convenient to let the trail go cold. Background briefing asked Australia's Department of Foreign Affairs if it was aware that PNG police were investigating whether Fago's murder was linked to his role at PNG ports. The department didn't answer that question. But in a statement, it says it welcomes the investigation into PNG ports by PNG's Independent Commission Against Corruption and will await the outcome. The department goes on to say that allegations about PNG ports are historical and do not involve Australian public finance, and that it has independent oversight and compliance mechanisms around Australian aid and loans for PNG ports. For Sarah Kiniafa, any outcomes look like cold comfort at best. How important is it to you that police do a thorough investigation? Very, very much. I want to know the truth myself. But this could be an uncomfortable truth, with maybe even more of her husband's dark secrets coming to light. Are you confident that police will do a thorough investigation? I don't know. I really don't know. I know this is a lot to take in, Sarah. Yeah. Is there one last thing you would like to say in this interview? I just want the truth to come out. I'm truth to come out and I, I would know the truth. Maybe bad, maybe good, I just want to know the truth. Yeah, that's all. Thank you, Sarah. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for at least um, opening my eyes to a lot of things that I didn't know, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Background briefing sound producers are Lila Schunner and Ingrid Wagner. Sound engineering by Anne-Marie de Bettencourt. Fact-checking by Ben Sveen. Additional research by Echo Hoy and Alison McClymont. Our supervising producer is Mario Christodoulou. The executive producer is Fanu Falali. And I'm Josh Robertson. can subscribe to Background Briefing on the ABC Listen app. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.